Welcome to part one of our new three-week message series titled, How to Wreck Your Marriage, A Practical Guide to Marital Sabotage and How to Avoid It. We're going to be looking at some of the behaviors and habits that can work their way into any marriage and cause real problems. And then we're going to look at better alternatives to those behaviors and habits. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but every single one of us has issues. When you get married, it is two people who have issues getting together to work on their issues. And if you don't think you have issues, I got news for you, that's your issue. That's your issue. Everybody has issues. If you're married, then you know that your marriage needs maintenance. All of us who are married hopefully recognize that we need regular checkups and reminders that realign things in our marriage and keep us on track towards health and happiness. None of us can say, well, I heard a marriage series once five years ago, and you know what, Jeff? I've been doing everything the pastor talked about since then, and everything's been great. So I don't really need another marriage message series. The truth is I could preach on this every three months, and we would all be going, oh, right, Right, oh yeah, I should do that, that does make sense. If you're not married, this series is just as important because it's gonna give you a vision for your future marriage and help you set standards from the beginning that will lead to a healthy and happy marriage. Today's message is gonna have a lot of straight up practical application up front and then I'll hit the biblical side of things in the back half, so wait for that. If you love the word of God, and I hope you do, don't leave because I didn't mention a Bible verse during the first 15 minutes, don't throw your hands up and leave, I'm gonna get there, I promise. Hang with me. And that's when we'll discover why all the practical stuff is really living out what the Bible calls us to do. So with that, let's jump into the very first way to wreck your marriage. And, and this is, in my opinion, probably the most important point we're going to raise in this whole series. It's a long-term issue that has a creeping effect, and, and you often don't notice it until things have hit crisis level. The first way to wreck your marriage is simply to assume your marriage will naturally turn out great. Assume your marriage will naturally turn out great. I'm great, she's great, he's great, we love each other, we both find each other attractive. Obviously, we're gonna have a great marriage. It's pretty much what every couple thinks when they get married, right? But it's not the truth. When you approach anything in your life the way that the majority of people approach it, do you know what you end up with by definition? The average, the average. If you do what everyone else is doing, you'll get the results that everyone else is getting. It's very simple, that's what average means, and it's true in marriage as well. So what does average mean in the context of marriage? Well, in practically every first world country, unfortunately, including among people who identify themselves as believers, it means a greater than 50% chance of getting divorced. So just let that sink in for a minute. If you have an average marriage, if you simply do what everyone else is doing, you already have a greater than 50% chance of your marriage ending in divorce. Now look at the remaining 47% or so of marriages. How many people who manage to stay married could be described as staying happily married? That's a whole other question as well. And statistics, unfortunately, also show that if you get remarried after a divorce, your odds of getting divorced again are even higher by at least 10%. The average marriage will probably end in divorce, and if that doesn't happen, it probably won't be a happy 
marriage. That's what average means in the context of marriage. I thought I'd just share something light to uh, lighten the atmosphere as we jump into the series. We're just talking about this in our Genesis series. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that objects in a closed system are always moving from order to disorder, from order to chaos, from energy toward entropy, toward decay. The whole universe is doing that. Your marriage, my marriage is a closed system. So like the universe, it is moving naturally from order toward disorder. And there is only one way to stop entropy and defy the second law of thermodynamics. It's not possible in the natural universe because there's a finite amount of energy in the universe. But physicists tell us if we could do this one thing, we could reverse the effect of entropy and decay in the universe. It is possible in marriage to do this. Do you know what the one way is, according to physics, to reverse the natural process of entropy? And this applies to marriage. You have to add energy. You have to add energy. A greater amount of energy than the effect of entropy, than the effect of decay. You have to add energy. Your marriage is naturally moving on its own without you doing anything from order toward disorder. But there's good news. You can reverse that trend by adding energy to your marriage, putting effort into your marriage. A good marriage is not gonna happen by chance. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not gonna happen by default or automatically, and it's certainly not going to happen naturally. You're going to have to add energy to your marriage and be intentional about creating health and happiness in your relationship. So write this down. A good marriage requires energy and intentionality. A good marriage requires both energy and intentionality. I've shared this before as well. I once heard Dave Ramsey speak and describe what he called the, the formula for success. And I put it on your outline so you could visually see it. And he said, this is the equation for success. Focused effort over time produces success. In any area of life, focused effort over time produces success. And man, is that ever true for marriage. A good marriage requires energy, work and effort, but that energy needs to be focused correctly. And in this series, we're gonna be talking about some of the most important things to focus on in a marriage. And that focused effort needs to be applied over time. And that's really the tough one for many people because many people will say, hey, my marriage isn't doing that well, but I've been working on it for a month. I've changed my behavior for, for a whole month and things don't seem to be any better. Let me share one piece of wisdom, if I may, regarding the issue of time in marriage. You know, when serious issues come to the surface in a marriage, here's what I can tell you. Those issues almost never occurred overnight. Catch what I'm saying here. The manifestation of those issues may have occurred overnight, but the cause of those issues almost inevitably goes back years, even longer. In other words, when a person suddenly goes broke, it's not that that's something that happened out of the blue. Almost never. 
almost inevitably you trace it back and there was a bad decision followed by a bad decision followed by a refusal to course correct, a refusal to change, a refusal to take wise counsel. And they've been making wrong decisions for years, but they finally hit the point where somebody evicted them from their property and now it's at crisis level. That day when they got evicted, that's not the day when everything went wrong. It's been going wrong for years. It's just the manifestation of issues that have been there for years. So when issues rise to the surface in a marriage, here's what you need to remember. You can't walk five miles into a forest and expect to get out in one. And we do that in marriage all the time. There's been an issue brewing for years and it suddenly manifests and we're suddenly expecting that we're gonna be able to fix this thing in weeks or months. Sometimes we've walked a long way into the dark woods and we expect that we're gonna get out in a very, very short amount of time and it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it's a long hike back. When an issue's been years in the making, it's not gonna get solved quickly most of the time. You're gonna to need to be patient. You're gonna to need to persevere. You're gonna need a lot of the grace of Jesus. And I don't share this with you to discourage you. I share this with you so that if you're in that place, you can get your mind in the right place. You can have the right expectations, not be impatient, but understand, okay, this is something I'm gonna be doing for the long haul. I'm gonna stay focused on the grace of Jesus and not expect an overnight change. Because the issue might not even have anything to do with the other person in the marriage. It might be junk that one person brought into the marriage from years earlier that they never dealt with and now it's coming out in the marriage. But it might also be obviously an issue that's been in the marriage for a long time. You've probably all seen this before. The last kid grows up and leaves the house and suddenly mom and dad get a divorce and nobody, their friends, nobody can figure out how the heck that happened when they've been married for 20 years seemingly happily. The answer is that there's probably been a deep issue or some deep issues in the marriage for most of that 20 years, but it's just that kids provided a distraction and a way to avoid having to deal with the issues and confront the issues because you're so busy with the kids and raising them and kids' activities and social engagements that you, you, you could just put those issues on the shelf. And then suddenly when the kids leave the house, suddenly there's all this space for conversation and interaction that wasn't there before and suddenly you can't hide from those issues anymore. And people think, well, what changed? And the reality is there were issues there for a long, long time. What changed is that they ran out of ways to hide from those issues, but they were years in the making. Which leads me to our second way to wreck your marriage. Write this down. Just assume that the issues in your marriage will work themselves out. This is a great way to wreck your marriage. Just assume that the issues in your marriage will work themselves out. You can have the same approach that my wife has toward modern medicine. You know, why would I go see a doctor? What if I did nothing instead and just waited to see if things sort of got better on their own? Charlene, you chopped your finger off. You have to go to the doctor. Do, do I? Do I? She's gonna be so mad when she hears that on the tape, but she knows I'm right. She knows I'm right. Every time she goes to the doctor, I have to drag her there. She's like, let's, let's, just, let's just see how this thing plays itself out. Now, like you, I've known a lot of people in my life who've had their marriage fall apart 
or have gotten very, very close to divorce outside of a miracle of God. And Charlene and I have spent some time just reflecting on, on all these situations we've seen and people we've known and including our own marriage. And we've just tried to figure out what could we learn from this? Like there has to be something we can learn. And we thought through things like maybe there are seasons of life and then we kept encountering people in different stages of life that seem to be the exception to all the classic times you're supposed to have marital issues. And you realize they can happen anytime. But, but the big lesson I think I've walked away with from looking at all these different marriages um, is this one truth. And I know it's a little bit wordy, but, but make a note of this and then we'll unpack it. Deeply rooted issues in a marriage almost never work themselves out. They must be confronted because time increases their power. They must be confronted because time increases their power. If you're a Christian, you should be familiar with the concept that shows up over and over again in Scripture that the power of Satan, the power of sin, is strong in the darkness when things are in secret. And Jesus, on the opposite end of that, describes himself as light and light that brings freedom and liberty because as long as sin and shame are kept in the dark, they have power. When they're pulled into the light, they're robbed of their power. And we find freedom as well. Issues in marriage work the same way. The longer they stay hidden, the longer they stay on the shelf, the longer they get swept into the rug, the longer they stay in the shadows, the more powerful they become. Issues in a marriage don't go away with time. They only get stronger and resentment gets deeper. Really absorb what those words mean that we, we made a note of. What I've noticed with pretty much 100% consistency is that when issues rise up in a marriage, they've usually been there for years, but, but here's the real kicker. And usually at least one person in the marriage was aware of the issues. They were aware of them. But either they didn't bring them up or the other person didn't take them seriously. Most of the time, they didn't bring them up. They simply didn't bring them up because they thought the issue would work itself out Maybe they misapplied grace and they said, no, I'm, I'm going to show grace here. But you're not really showing grace when you haven't actually let an issue go, right? So in other words, you can't lie to yourself and say, you know what, I'm just going to be gracious like Jesus and let this issue go, but continue to be bitter about it inside. You haven't actually let it go, and that's not actually, therefore, showing any kind of real grace. Or they didn't want to deal with the potential conflict. I don't, I don't want to be a troublemaker in the marriage. Or they kept convincing themselves that it wasn't really an issue. We had, a, we, we had a couple of good days this week. And that's what happens with couples who have kids. You know, there's a serious issue beneath the surface, but there's, there's always a way to dismiss it. Like the picture of the whole family at, at, at Disneyland. And we can just go, see, we're a happy family. You know, all in all, all things considered, we're doing well. And we come up with all these ways to avoid dealing with an issue that we know is lurking beneath the surface in our marriage. Most marriages fall apart because the issues only come out when they've been festering for years and then there's too much hurt, there's too much bitterness, there's too much resentment that's built up. And so it comes out when someone can't stand it anymore and they're at the breaking point, which tragically is the hardest place to actually deal with an issue. Because when it finally comes out, one person's already had enough and that's the only reason it's coming out. Here's the truth, and you need to be honest about this with yourself and your marriage. Time is either healing the wounds in your marriage or it's further infecting them. 
And you better make sure that you know the difference. Time is either healing the wounds in your marriage because you've really let it go. There's really been forgiveness. It's really not still bothering you. Time is either bringing healing or it's infecting the wound even further. And most marriages fall apart because one or both spouses are lying to themselves about which of those two things is actually happening. Don't tell yourself you've let something go when you know deep down you're still bitter, angry, and hurting. You're not healing. The wound's just getting more infected over time. If there's an issue in your marriage that's a big deal to you, you must deal with it. You must deal with it. If you know that something is still going to bother you deeply in a couple of years, you better be honest with yourself and your spouse about that. Lying to yourself and to them is not being kind. It's sabotaging your marriage. It's sabotaging your marriage. And there are people who are sabotaging their marriage and they think they're being gracious. But you can't be gracious if you can't actually let something go. And let me also say this. If you are the spouse who raises the issue after years, your mind is naturally going to take the position, my spouse has been getting this wrong for years. But, but listen, if you haven't clearly communicated that to them, if you've tolerated that issue in your marriage for years, if you've swept it under the rug over and over, then you bear some of the responsibility for creating that lack of health in your marriage that you now find yourself in. You bear some of the responsibility because your partner can't read your mind. They can't. And so if that's you, you need to give your marriage some room, some space, and a lot of grace to work through that issue because while you might be about to explode because these issues have been building up for years and the bitterness has been building up, you need to realize that your spouse, if you're only bringing it up now, your spouse is being blindsided by this issue because you've never actually explained it to them before. And now when you are, it's like the whole world is ending because you've held on to that issue for so, so long. Remember, you can't walk five miles into a forest and expect to get out in one. You can't. Both people in a marriage bear a responsibility for the health of the marriage. If you know something's wrong and you don't say it, it's partly your fault. You have an obligation to say it, to address it. But Jeff, what if the conflict caused by raising the issue destroys the marriage? This is probably the number one reason people don't bring up issues in marriage. We're naturally conflict averse. We don't like conflict. Nobody gets up and says, you know what I would like to have today? A painful and awkward conversation with the people I live with. That would be great. I'd, I'd love to do that. I'm just looking for a chance to do that. Conflict is inherently risky and it's unpredictable. So we generally do our best to avoid it. And if we succumb to the fear, it puts us in a lose-lose situation where we don't raise issues in our marriage because we're scared that if we do, it's going to result in conflict that could destroy our marriage. But failing to address those issues will only result in them later manifesting in a catastrophic way. So what's the solution? Is your marriage doomed either way? Not necessarily. When we get married, we take vows. And on our wedding day, those vows are romantic and sweet. And we make them gladly because we have no idea what we're saying. We think 
We think that we're always going to be as in love with our spouse as we are at that moment. It's really, it's really sweet looking back how delusional we are when we get married, isn't it? It's, it's beautiful, it's very sweet. The reason people came up with marriage vows in front of witnesses was because some people who had been married for a while realized that life is gonna throw some serious curveballs at most marriages, sickness, Money problems, dark days, tough seasons, loss and tragedy, things that would make most people want to give up. But the idea was that all those witnesses would be able to say during those times, but you made those vows. I was there. I heard you say them. You made those promises to each other. That's the idea behind marriage vows. People who'd been married a while knew the reality that there would be times in every marriage when only the seriousness of those vows would hold the marriage together. People with enough integrity to not break their word. And that sort of approach is still needed today. And I'll tell you why. A good marriage needs to have big borders. A good marriage needs to have big borders. Let me explain. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Those classic marriage vows leave a lot of room for some seriously bad stuff to happen. Seriously bad stuff. And the borders of your marriage define how bad things can get before you quit. They define how much room there is in your marriage for difficult times. When you have a serious commitment to your marriage, your marriage is going to have big borders. That means that sometimes you and your spouse might be parked at opposite ends of the ranch as far away from each other as you can possibly be, but you're still on the same ranch. You're still within the same borders. Here's where I'm going with this. When your marriage has big borders, you'll have room for conflict. When your marriage has big borders, you will have the room for conflict. But when your marriage doesn't have a high level of commitment, You're gonna create small borders for your marriage, which means neither of you has to wander very, very far before you're off the ranch. And that creates an atmosphere of fear and insecurity that makes both spouses afraid to raise real issues because you got small borders. If raising serious issues, really get this, if raising serious issues risks the entire marriage, most people won't do it. They won't do it. They'll push those issues to the side until they become unbearable and irreparable. So how big are the borders of your marriage? How much room is there in your marriage for conflict? Is there enough room in your marriage for your spouse to raise serious issues that might take a while to work through? Is there enough room for you to raise serious issues? If you don't feel like there is, that's probably the most important conversation you could have with your spouse this week. You need to let them know that you are afraid to raise real issues because you're scared that it's gonna wreck the marriage, that they're gonna leave. You need to let them know if that's where you are. Don't tap your partner right now. Everyone's gonna see it's gonna be very awkward, okay? So when a marriage has big borders, both spouses know that even when everything hits the fan, the other person isn't going anywhere. And that creates a level of security and trust in a marriage that makes it possible for difficult issues to be raised. And I'm not saying that it makes raising difficult issues easy 
or not awkward somehow. I'm just saying that in a good marriage, raising issues doesn't mean also raising the issue of divorce. If you can't raise a serious issue in your marriage without divorce coming up, you've got a serious problem. You've got small borders. And there are issues that aren't being addressed because you're both scared to bring them up. Our third way to wreck your marriage, write this down, is to always remember that quitting is easier than working through issues. Great way to wreck your marriage. Remember, quitting is easier than working through issues. And then we're going to go right into the next fill-in. And the better alternative is to fully commit to your marriage so that it can have big borders and room for conflict resolution. The better alternative is to fully commit to your marriage so that it can have big borders and room for conflict resolution. I've also shared this before. Charlene and I have a saying in our marriage when it comes to conflict resolution and and bringing up difficult issues. When we say it, uh, we don't use the word bad. We use something much more colorful. But our saying goes like this. We say we'd rather have a bad day than a bad week. We'd rather have a bad week than a bad month. We'd rather have a bad month than a bad year. We'd rather have a bad year than a bad marriage. And what that means to us is that we're both fully committed to dealing with the conflict and awkwardness caused by bringing up issues. If that means that we have to have a bad day so that that issue doesn't drag out over a week, so be it. If it means that we have to have an awkward and tense week so that that issue doesn't drag out over a month, so be it. If it means that we're going to have a difficult year so that we don't have an issue that poisons the rest of our marriage, so be it. We're we're up for that. We're up for that. It means that we're willing to pay the price of temporary conflict, tension, and awkwardness so that we can have long-term health and happiness in our marriage. In fact, make, make a note of that. Temporary conflict is always the price of true long-term peace. Temporary conflict is always the price of true long-term peace. It's true with everything in the world, every relationship, every political relationship in the world. If you're a country that wants to live in peace, you better have a military that's ready for some temporary conflict because that's going to be the price of being able to live in peace. Peace is never attained by simply avoiding conflict at all costs. Peace is attained and maintained by understanding the necessity of temporary conflict conflict. And that's true even with our salvation. The temporary conflict and affliction of the cross gained us eternal peace with Jesus. Now hear me on this church. You will never deal with real issues in your marriage if your spouse believes that short-term conflict might end the marriage. You will never deal with real issues ever. Your spouse needs to know that you're not going anywhere. Not just because you say it, but by your actions as well. Your spouse needs to know that you don't have a plan B. They need to know that they're your plan A through Z or Z, whatever you want to say. This isn't a female-only issue because most of us are probably thinking like, yeah, women need to hear that from their husbands. This is an issue for both spouses. Both spouses need to feel secure in the marriage. This isn't just some feminine chick need. We're wired to need that security. And let me explain. God even knows this. He knows we're wired this way. That's why his word is packed with promises 
that he will always be with us, right? That's why so many of our favorite verses, whether you're a man or a woman, actually, especially if you're a dude, you probably have some favorite verses that are about God being with us, God protecting us, God keeping us safe, God being a shield, God being a fortress, God being a strong tower, something like that. Why do we love Psalm 23? Because it says stuff like, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You're with me. God, I can make it through the darkness of the valley if I know that you're with me. We all need to hear that. We all need the security of knowing that those who matter to us most are not going anywhere. We need to know that. Your spouse needs to know that and be certain about it. What would they say if I asked them that question this evening? You better be sure that their answer would be, no, I feel totally safe. They're not going anywhere. If they couldn't say that, we got work to do. We got work to do to make each other feel secure in our marriages. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that the Bible requires us to confront issues that have caused us offense. In other words, if someone has offended you and you can't let go of it, you think they've sinned against you, Jesus demanded, not suggested, demanded that his followers confront the issue. Not just in marriage, but with anyone. So obviously this applies especially to marriage. And I have to say, I am constantly astounded by the number of believers who don't follow this teaching of Jesus. I mean, if, if you say, Jeff, as a pastor, what are the commands in the Bible that the most Christians don't follow? This one I would say, even, even more than tithing, even more than anything else, Christians fail to follow these instructions of Jesus that we're going to talk about from Matthew 18. And if that sounds judgmental, it is, because I am judging believers on this issue. And if you know me, then hopefully you know that I'm generally pretty faithful to go directly to you if there's an issue. That's generally what I try to do, so I don't think I'm being wildly hypocritical in pointing this out. But I see believers who've been walking with Jesus for decades refuse to follow this teaching of Jesus all the time because it's awkward and difficult. It's awkward and difficult. In Matthew 18, this is on your outlines, Jesus tells his disciples how he wants them to deal with conflict with other people. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. I'm, I'm going to go through all of that in a minute, but I want us to focus in on that, that first step first. Jesus says, if you believe someone has wronged you and it's bothering you, you go directly to that person and you let them know one on one. That doesn't happen a whole lot among believers. Doesn't happen a whole lot. But what's interesting is that in the original language, we find that Jesus was actually saying, if you believe someone has wronged you and it's bothering you, go directly to that person and let them know one-on-one, -on -one, unless, as the uh, original Greek says, they're super awkward to talk to, or a risk to freak out, or intimidating. That's all in there. You know, you got to get into the original language. And where it says him alone, it's very interesting. It can also be translated as prayer group or close friend or other church members or pastor. Really anything you want. 
the reality, if you haven't figured it out yet, is that the meaning of the text is actually clear. Just like Genesis 1, there's no confusion about what the text is saying. It's an incredibly difficult and high standard, but the text is very, very clear. When someone wrongs us in a way we can't let go of, we're not to tell anyone else about it. Pray for me. Pray for me. They really hurt me. Let me give you the details so that you can pray for me with specificity. Right? We're not to tell anyone about it. We're to go to the person who offended us, who wronged us one-on-one, and let them know. Then if they refuse to repent or apologize, if they're like, whatever, whatever, man. This is if they're a believer. Then we're supposed to go to two or three other people. Now understand this. The implication is that there's supposed to be someone who's spiritually mature in the faith. And we're supposed to involve them as mediators. Someone like a pastor, a church elder, a seasoned saint who's a good example. And this stuff gets really interesting when you begin to apply it to marriage. So this first step, if your spouse has wronged you, this isn't Jesus writing a a column, a Dear Abby column, where he says, this is my suggestion. He says, do this. This is a command. Your spouse has wronged you, go tell them. Go tell them. Deal with the issue. If they're like, hey, forget you. Now listen, this is what the Bible is implying here. So imagine this, you're a husband, your wife says it, and you're like, babe, I just just don't have time for this. Come on, come on, there's no problem here. If that's your reaction, your wife, under the words of Jesus, is now permitted to say, okay, just a heads up, I'm gonna go talk to Pastor Jeff about that and see what he thinks. You can't stop her if you're following what the Bible says. She can go do that. Now you might think like, oh, so Jesus wants everybody up in everybody else's business? No, it's there as a deterrent so that you don't blow off the person who's coming to you bringing up the issue because even though you don't want to deal with it, which you never will, you're thinking in the back of your head, I better deal with this because I don't want Pastor Jeff to get involved in this. That's the point. It's meant to be a deterrent. So then imagine, you know, she comes to me and she says, here's the thing, my husband's doing this, it's sin. And I'm like, you're right, it's sin. You get a call from me. Hey, dude, what the flip are you doing? You know what the Bible says. Get your crap together. You need to repent. Don't tell me what to do, man. Click. Hang up. Third step of the process, tell it to the church. You're in church that Sunday. And I say, hey, guys, just a couple of quick announcements. We got a potluck coming up this Sunday. What else is there? Oh, yes. Phil is in unrepentant sin against his wife. Just want everyone to know he's refused our counsel, refuses to submit to the word of God. And according to Matthew 18, we need to be praying for him to come to know Jesus because we need to just assume he's not saved at this point. So everybody on your connection cards, would you just write Phil right now and be praying for Phil this week? We love you, Phil. Uh, Also, one more announcement. Yeah, we're going to have our potluck next Sunday. Don't forget about that. Like that's what it would actually look like if we did what the word of God said. And we read that and we think that's so unrealistic. For the love of God, don't make me do that, okay? Do not make me do that. I don't want to get seven calls this week from people being like, Pastor Jeff, you know, you put it out there and I just thought I'd take you up on the offer. You talk to my husband right now because he won't listen. The point is those things are meant to be in there to be a deterrent. Because none of us have the first reaction of your spouse comes to you, hey, there's something I want to talk to you about. You know what I know? I know every husband has the same response that I do. Externally, right, we're like, oh, okay. Internally, we're like, oh, gosh, what? What? What is it? Now. So 
knowing that that would be our reaction, the Lord said, yeah, but you better deal with it. Because if you don't, she's going to get some other people involved in the process. That's not going to be any more fun. So you better deal with it nice and neat and tidy right now. And if you need to repent, you better repent. And then there's that second step if need be. Pastor gets involved. Third step, tell it to the church. That's what the Bible says. That's what we're meant to be doing. So if there's an issue in your marriage that your spouse has raised and you're a Christian and you refuse to deal with it, they're, they're allowed to go talk to someone else. Now, if they're smart, they'll at least inform you. Be like, hey, just a heads up. I'm going to do this. And then for the love of God, if you do that, choose wise counsel. The number of people who are like, oh man, I'm having marriage difficulties. I better go talk to my friend who just got divorced. What? Oh yeah, I'm having, having marriage difficulties. I better go talk to my, my girlfriend who's been divorced three times. Or my 40-year-old friend who's still going out to the club every weekend because she's in the state of arrested development. Yeah, they're going to give you great, great counsel. That's going to work out great, you know. The implication is you need to talk to someone who loves the word of God more than they love you. That's the idea. That's the standard. Someone who's going to say, hey, you know, sorry this sucks for you right now, but this is what the word of God says. Someone who can tell you, if the issue is really your spouse or if, if you're just overreacting and you, you need to change, someone who'll be honest with you. That's the idea. And the idea is that there's no exceptions. There's no exceptions if they're difficult to talk to. I don't like conflict. Wow, you're so unique. You don't like conflict? R really, you're really special, okay. So if you're married, let me ask you a question. Is there anyone other than your spouse who knows about issues in your marriage that you haven't brought up with your spouse? There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be. And if you have raised the issue with your spouse and then raised it with someone else, are they a mature believer? Are they someone who is a good example in the area of marriage? Have they been invited to help mediate in the situation? Or were you really just looking for someone to complain to about your spouse? Those verses from Matthew 18 are commands from Jesus, which means that if we're disobeying them, we're sinning. We're actively sinning. If there's an issue that you haven't brought up in your marriage that you feel is related to sin, you're sinning by not confronting it because you're allowing bitterness to grab a hold of your heart. You're keeping the issue in the darkness. You're not letting it go as the Lord does with our sins where he casts them into the sea of his forgetfulness because they're paid for by Jesus. You're not actually letting them go and saying the grace of Jesus has covered that. You're, you're just holding on to it. It's still bothering you and you're not just bringing it up. You're just letting it get more powerful over time. Your personality type is irrelevant. Jesus expects unity in the church. He expects unity in the family and it all begins with unity in our marriages. If you're married, you need to know that following Jesus means you got to be committed to confronting issues in your marriage that threaten unity in your marriage. So write this down. Jesus commands us to deal with offenses in our marriage directly. That means one-on-one. -on -one. He commands us to deal with offenses in our marriage directly. And so we've talked a bit about how important it is that we follow Jesus' instructions in Matthew 18 and go directly to our spouse when we feel that we've been wronged. So let's talk a minute about a shocking possibility you might not have considered. Do you realize that your spouse may come 
to you with an issue, <laughs> with a sin that you've committed? That's, that's actually a, a possibility. That could actually happen. Now let's talk about the right, right way to respond to that scenario. When your spouse comes to you directly to raise an issue in your marriage, here's what you need to know first. They're obeying Jesus. They're obeying Jesus. They're doing what the Bible says, and they almost definitely don't want to do it. They've probably been dreading what they assume will turn into an argument. And they've been dreading the, the tension and awkwardness that they expect to probably linger for days. And the fact that they're still obeying Jesus despite all that, that just the fact that they're doing it deserves to be honored, which can be very, very difficult in the moment. Because if there's even an ounce of truth in what they're saying, the Holy Spirit is probably going to convict us, which results in, in what behavior 99% of the time? I'll give you a hint. It's not this one. Oh, Lord, you're so right. I'm so wrong. Change me, Jesus. That's not the one I'm talking about. 99% of the time when someone has an ounce of truth, especially when it's our spouse bringing it up and the Holy Spirit starts convicting up, we immediately become defensive, right? That's like our go-to. We immediately become defensive. And instead of dealing with the issue that they've raised, we now come back with our own issue. Well, you blah, 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 blah. Or here's another favorite tactic. You're not that clever if you do this. Everybody does this. We complain about the way that they brought up the issue, right? Like that's a favorite go-to for all of us. And we think we're like outwitting them. Oh, you're so smug as though, though you never made a mistake. It's not what you're saying. It's the way you're saying it. It just seems like you think you're better than me. You know, your tone is wrong. Maybe if you had said it more like this, if you had done it at this time in the day instead of this time in the day, if you had done it when the lighting was a little bit more like this, if you had done it before I'd had a drink, if you had done it after I'd had a drink, if you had done it before we had eaten, oh, I can't possibly process this with a full stomach. You know, I, 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 this just, I just no way I can deal with this. Listen, let me be real. That's such a load of crap. All of it. All of it. And I do it all the time too. All the time. Here's the reality. It took courage for them to raise that issue. They didn't want to do it. They were probably nervous or terrified and they, they probably agonized over just the right way to say it. Right? So honor that. Honor that. Don't attack the way they raised the issue. Deal with the issue. I have yet to be in a situation where I've really liked the way a person has pointed out something I've been completely wrong about. You know, I was completely off base on that and in the wrong, but the way you said it made it feel so right. Thank you for doing that. I've never had that happen ever. Oh, that, that didn't hurt. That wasn't horribly painful because you said it so nicely. You're right. I am a terrible person. But, you know, you said it nicely. Thank you for doing that. Honor that. And here's why. This is the ouch moment. Because you don't want to be somebody who makes it difficult for your spouse to obey Jesus. Right? You don't want to be somebody who makes it difficult for your spouse to obey Jesus. And that's what we're doing when we make it difficult for our spouse to talk to us when there's an issue in our marriage. When by our actions and habits, we communicate to them, anytime you want to bring something up, here's what you just need to know. I'm going to lose my blank. 
Just so you know, we're making it so difficult for them to obey Jesus. Instead, breathe, breathe, and listen, not just to your spouse, but to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes those situations are so tense and difficult. I don't know if you do this. Like, I'll be in there and I'll just be praying like, Holy Spirit, you just got to help me. Just help me to listen right now. Please help me because I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Don't react. Don't, don't act on the impulse to be defensive that is going to naturally rise up within you and your sin nature. That's why the Bible says in your anger, do not sin. Because the more emotionally out of control we get, the higher our propensity for sin. Respond thoughtfully. Ask for some time to process what they've shared if you need to. You realize it's not actually like a battle. It's not like you have five seconds to come up with a witty comeback and the more cutting it is, the better. That's, that's not what's going on. Ask for some time to process if you need that. But here's, here's a practical point on that. If you do that, if you say, hey, I need some time to process this. This is how you honor your spouse when you do that. You tell them when you're going to get back to them. You say, can we touch base on this at breakfast tomorrow? And then you take responsibility for bringing it up. You don't say, can I have some time to process this and then never bring it up again? Or keep them in tension for days while you're like, oh, this is great. They have no idea if I'm even going to bring this up again. I'm just going to keep this power play going for a while. This is all, I'm going to milk this for all that it's worth. Yeah. Yeah, that's super constructive. Let them know when you're going to get back to them. Can we touch base uh, on this over breakfast tomorrow? I just want some time to process this and think about this and not just react. And if they ask for that, Give them that space and time to process. Give it to them. James 1.19 puts it like this. I put it on your outline. Let every man be swift to hear. So that's quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That means slow to anger. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and be slow to get angry. But here's the secret. If you can do the first two, you'll do the third. If you can be quick to listen and slow to speak, you will naturally be slow to anger guarantee it. Don't rush to react. Don't rush to react. Write this down. We need to honor our spouse when they obey Jesus' words from Matthew 18. We need to honor our spouse when they obey Jesus' words from Matthew 18. You know, every marriage will deal with issues. And, and the longer we wait to obey Matthew 18, the more powerful those issues become. In Colossians 3, Paul says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. In other words, do the things that God puts in your life to do with your best efforts. Don't give that effort for people. That's what the verse says. Don't do it for people. Give that effort because you love the Lord. Do it for him. Do we think about our marriage that way? Or is the effort that we give in our marriage related to our spouse and how deserving we think they are of our effort in that moment, in that day. The Bible says whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. So ultimately, you don't show your spouse grace because they're so great or deserving. You don't show them kindness because they've earned it. You do it because you love Jesus. And he's poured out those things upon you. And when we responded to him by saying, hey, what, what can we do for you? He said, go, go and do to other people what I've done for you. 
That's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do in response. Go and show that same kindness to them. If you were to stand before Jesus and present your marriage to him, I'm not going where you think I am with this. I'm not asking like how good or bad would it be. I'm asking if you were to stand before Jesus and present your marriage to him and say, here you go, Jesus, I did all this for you. Would Jesus see sincere effort in your marriage? Would he see sincere effort? Would he see times where, where you were just gracious when your spouse didn't deserve it just because you love Jesus, just because you love Jesus? Or, or would he see reciprocity, that you showed the same amount of kindness to your spouse that you felt they were showing to you? And it was just, just an exchange of goods and services. Would Jesus see all the ways that you did your best to honor him in, in your marriage? What would he see? And I don't say that to make anybody feel bad. I say that because th that's our goal. That's, that's what we're aiming for. We're aiming to love and bless Jesus by loving and blessing our spouse because that's what he's asked us to do. So especially in dealing with marital issues, let's love our spouse well. Let's make sure they feel safe enough and secure enough to raise issues when they need to be raised. Let's make sure they know that, that we're not going anywhere, that we're, we're in it for the long haul. Let's do our best to honor them when they obey Matthew 18 and bring up difficult issues that we really don't want to hear. And let's make sure that we're also faithful to do the same, to not put away and sweep under the rug issues that we know really need to be dealt with, not talking to others when we should be talking to our spouse, and then not sharing our issues with people who can't really help us, but seeking mature Christian counsel as that second step when needed. Let's make sure that we're dealing with the issues that need to be dealt with. In the second chapter of Song of Solomon, Solomon alludes to the little foxes that spoil the vine. And the idea is that when you had a vineyard, you didn't want to have any foxes around because they tunnel and they burrow. And as they do that, they, they eat and destroy the roots of the vine and you have catastrophe unfolding all of a sudden. The, the whole vine system just collapses and dies because of these little foxes digging these holes underneath. And issues in our marriage that, that continue to affect us where we feel wronged or things that we know are off that aren't healthy, that need to be dealt with, those are the little foxes. And what happens is, is marriages fall apart because one day there's catastrophe. One day everything falls apart. And you go, what, what in the world happened? And it's usually years in the making. Years of not dealing with those little foxes. When they were just little foxes. You, you could have dealt with them. You could have avoided the catastrophe. And the best urging I can give every single married couple is if you know there's a little fox in your marriage, deal with it. One, because Jesus tells you to, but secondly, because you're flirting with catastrophe if you don't. Time's not going to fix it. Time's only going to make it worse. Deal with it. Deal with it. With that, let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Jesus, thank you for the instructions you give us in your word in Matthew 18. Lord, it's, it's a heavy word, and, and those are heavy instructions, but we know from them that you take the issue of unity seriously. 
especially in marriage, Lord. It's meant to model the, the unity that you have with your church that you love and lay down your life for. It's a seriously high standard because you take the issue of unity seriously. Jesus, may we do the same. Whether we're the ones who, who need to bring up an issue or we're the ones that need to respond the right way when our spouse brings up an issue, help our first concern to be honoring you, Jesus, honoring you. And Father, I pray for, for every marriage, present and future, that's represented in this room. God, I pray that not a single marriage would be average, but that you would be at the center of every marriage, that you would stay at the center of every marriage, and that we wouldn't allow kids or any of the other distractions of life to cause us to not deal with things that need to be dealt with. Holy Spirit, I pray for each of us that you would just speak to us right now. If there's something that you want to do in our marriage, Lord, give us the humility to, to open our hearts and minds to you, to allow you to speak to us. And then give us the courage to act upon your word, knowing and being secure in the fact that everything you call us to do is ultimately for our good, for our benefit. Give us the faith to believe that you're doing something good even in those times of temporary conflict. And Lord, I, I thank you that no matter how difficult or how bad that conflict may be, we have the hope and the promise of you, your presence and your Holy Spirit working on our spouse and also working on us. That, that areas that seem so hard and unchangeable can be changed in an instant by your Holy Spirit. And so we thank you that our hope isn't based on our ability to simply be two people with issues working things out. Our, our hope is in you and in the power of your Holy Spirit to change both of us, uh, to make us more like your son Jesus. So we just welcome and invite the work of your Holy Spirit in us. Come and do your work, Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.